Welcome to the Hop and Brew School podcast. I'm Justin Crosley. I'm Nick Ziegler. And we are back to teach you more about hops as always. Hop and Brew School is the podcast to connect the world's finest brewers and home brewers with more knowledge about hops so that we can all drink better beer. And today's show is no exception. Today we're going to talk about uh, sour beers and hopping, right, Nick? I have been excited about this one for a long time, and uh, I am particularly honored to uh, have the guests that we have on the show right now. Yeah, we got a great lineup today. Uh, Mr. Vinny Chalurzo from Russian River Brewing Company is here. Welcome, Vinny. Hello. Good to be back. Some of you might know Jay Goodwin from our other podcast here on the Brewing Network, uh, also from the Rare Barrel. Hey, Jay. Hey, excited to be on the BN. And I think for the first time in the studio, Charlie Johnson from the Ronin Fermentation Project. Yeah, thanks for having me. Pretty excited to be on this side of the camera. We got a good crew here, and we're going to talk all about <laughs> sour beers and hopping. I do have to admit one thing. Uh, apparently, and I didn't know this because I've known Vinny for a long time, but apparently he makes me nervous. I had a nightmare last night <laughs> about Vinny coming to the hop grenade. And he had come in and, and, and went to put some beer in my cold box and told my team, your cold box is disgusting. <laughs> and my team immediately started ripping apart our entire draft system in the middle of a busy uh, service hour. Um, and they're taking it all apart. I come in. I say, what are you doing? They said, Vinny, you said, it's disgusting. And Vinny comes back 15 minutes later. Everything's in pieces. And he goes, I was just messing with you guys. <laughs> your cold box is fine. <laughs> oh, dude, I'm so sorry you're getting stressed about this stuff. Anxiety dreams, right? Anxiety dreams, you know? Uh, we, uh, medication, uh, uh, beer. Beer is my medication. Yeah, that works for, it works for me. Uh, Vinny doesn't actually give me anxiety all the time. I'm always happy to have you in here. And so it's thanks for coming back. down. I yeah. remember the early days. That's right. He's Vinny's been in my garage, for yep. heaven's sake. <laughs> and you're back up your bedroom at one second bedroom yeah. at one point. So Absolutely. I, I remember correctly. <laughs> Those were the early days of yeah. the Brewing Network. That's right. Oh, how far we've come. Um, and then just one more thing I just wanted to mention because you sent me a photo of it earlier today. But uh, you filled your – was it your first fill of your cool ship today? No. We, okay. We've done it, oh, about eight times. But it In was the new just, brewery, it right? Was, yeah. It was just appropriate that we were – putting wart in the cool ship and we're doing it again tomorrow nice so yeah fantastic that is yeah. so cool so i was i was actually i had the privilege of uh, of going to visit uh vinnie at uh at the, at the new brewery in in november i think was it and um you know in my excitement i was i was you know hanging around vinnie and natalie in this wonderful new brewery and it just opened and uh we're I'm there with the entire board of the company and i stick my head in and then kind of crawl halfway in and looking at it and checking out the finish and everybody's like what the fuck is this guy doing uh, and i'm kind of you know mumbling around in there and, and and it turns out that i deposited a um a, a significant quantity of hydrogen sulfide and uh, hydrogen sulfoxide in the closed environment just before my ceo and all of the board members decided to take a look inside as well so uh whoops nice work <laughs> so if the first batch is sulfur out of that one i apologize yeah thankfully we haven't put beer in it yet Okay, uh, ventilate it, please. <laughs> perfect. Well, why don't we dive into it? Because I know that we have a lot to cover today. Uh, but the idea is that there are, uh, I think, some different hopping techniques for, for sour beers. And some people know the, the kind of easier traditional techniques about using aged hops and, and using less hops. But I do think that sour beer has evolved quite a bit, especially here in the U.S. So we thought that it merited an entire episode to talk about what uh, some of the best sour brewers uh, in the country are, are doing. So where do you want to start, Nick? All right, so um, I think from the beginning here, with with the expertise that we have, I'd like to just uh, 
quickly take a, a quick survey over the types of sour beers. And I know that sour beers is a catch-all term, um, and most traditional sours and the really complex, lovely ones are sort of the real sours. Um, but I think there is some value in talking about kettle sours a little bit. So um, there's two types of kettle sours. You can get them uh, you know, microbially soured, um, either from a sour mash or in the kettle, and then boiled. Or you can add um, some, you know, acid species like uh, citric acid and phosphoric acid and lactic acid later on down the line. Um, then you get the mixed cultures where you get this wonderful uh, sort of controlled commercial pitches of multiple strains of microbes that work together to produce a very complex sour profile. Um, and then you can either combine them sequentially one at a time, either either start with a sack and then add some lacto and then some pedio and then some bread, or, you know, start in any order, really. Um, or you can have them all at the same time and have this sort of wonderful uh, co-fermented product. Um, on the other side of that is you can get the, uh, as, as I call it, bottle thievery or, uh, or, or the homage, <laughs> as, as Jay said, which is, uh, you know, you get, you get dregs from, from wonderful things like Consecration and the Tornado 25, which is uh, still to date, Vinny, thank you very much for that. Uh, about nine years ago, you gave us a bunch of those. And uh, I, I had a, a barrel running for about seven years with, with that, and, and it, was, it was real interesting. Um, and, that, and that's where you basically take the, the cultures of a, a, an established beer and, uh, that are still alive and uh, get them going in your own fermenter, either stainless or, or barrel or what have you, um, or concrete. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, they, they come out uh, wonderful. And I, I, love, I love that way because you can, you, can, you can tweak your ways saying, okay, well, I like what Chad's got going on. I like what Jay's got going on. I like what Vinny's got going on. But I want to have some of what Jester King's going on, so I'm going to pitch that earlier or later. And you can do all this weird sort of stuff. And they all kind of normalize eventually because they're, they're, they, they get into this – you know, the, this equilibrium, and this is a concept that we've, we've talked about a lot already. Um, and then there is the spontaneous fermentation, which uh, uh, I like to describe as a, a, a formerly trained brewer in the British or Germanic tradition as utter madness. Uh, violate every rule of beer making in the traditions that you have been taught um, and, and uh, let it go and then rely on the flora and the, and the character and the complexity of, of, of what's around you in your environment. And, uh, in general, those are also amazing. I've never actually had a regionally bad one. Hmm. Um, if people are doing it right with the right <laughs> techniques. <laughs> no, 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 no. So, so not, not, not bad due to the region so much as, I as, as technique, I okay. guess. Um, so as this is a hop show, um, looking at all these, at these types of, uh, of, of sour beers, um, I would like to get these you know, three gents experts, expertise on uh, hops in the role of sour beer maker. So how do we, how do we use them? What are, what, what are they contributing to this, to this wonderful complexity, which is insane in terms of, of biochemistry and analytics and sensory. It's, it's, it's huge. It's, it's incredibly voluminous and, and very complex. So how well, why do you... We, why don't we start with the basics even of that question? Like what role do hops play in, in sour beers? Vinny, uh, what do you think? Well, I think uh, look at this twofold. Um, <clears throat> in... A conventional barrel-aged sour beer, which is what we mostly do. Okay. We just made our first ever kettle sour beer. We said we did it so ass backwards. We went, we went, <laughs> did it the hard way for first. How many years now? Like twenty years? <laughs> yeah. Almost twenty years since nineteen ninety nine when we made our first barrel beer out of Corbell, and now we're doing, you know, a kettle sour, okay. which, I, which I'm loving. 
But, um, you know, they're often in the traditional method of using hops is that it really is a way to control the bacteria, that the more hops you add, because the lactobacillus oftentimes um, uh, doesn't like to play with the hops and is inhibited by the hops. So, okay. um, but that's not every strain of lacto either. So, I mean, that's that's what I love about these beers is that there's there's always a well, it's this, but it can be that. Yeah, and, and it does, and that's why it's so great for home brewers too, is that there are no rules. Yeah, you know. Um, so, so that's the normal use of, of hops, and you know, that's the whole idea of aging hops for spontaneous beer. But we use aged hops in all of our barrel-aged beer, temptation, supplication, I see. consecration. We use aged hops in everything. So we have a whole aging hop program. We, we hit up, like a couple of years ago, I hit up Yakima Chief. I'm like, what do you have that's old? And like $4 a pound? That's too much. I want, like, even older than that. Yeah. I, like, mean, I think they got old. some dollar a pound stuff. Give me the, uh, give me the dollar a pound. Yeah. Like, Send me to the dollar store of hops, yeah. please. I want, well, like, the, the, the junkyard hops, you know? <laughs> So actually, this is that's a that's a wonderful thing to, for you to brought up is that is that I would like to know what you all are looking for in in these age tops because we're actually trying to you know trying to specify and identify this stuff and mm-hmm. I, I think we we're, we're we're pretty well along the way but instead of giving you the dollar store hops and they're still going to be inexpensive <laughs> don't worry Vinny um, but they are it's, it's more about getting you what you want. What are you looking don't, for? Don't worry about me. I got breweries giving me hops now, old hops. Is that right? yeah. <laughs> a couple of years ago, and then Kasi uh, sent me like 4,000 pounds of hops wow. on <laughs> pay shipping. So. Wow. Thanks, Jamie. We we personally <laughs> don't look for um, like IPA hops. We don't want to use old Simcoe Cascade. Personally, I just think they give a, a flavor that I'm not into. Um, not saying it's not possible. Um, but for me personally, I'm kind of old school when it comes to hops. So we're looking at, you know, German, English varieties, that sort of. So you're looking for them to European cultivars. So American hops, like maybe Mount hood or Liberty or that sort of thing. Not that there's a lot of Liberty grown anymore. (laughs) that came to mind, you know, and why the, because you're looking for them to be transparent in the beer or, or are they not transparent? Just not with those other strong flavors. To me, they age better, and okay. they don't they don't go um, to the negative flavors that in the beer that Cascade or some of those IPA type hops um, have. Oh, I don't know okay. if it's the high so, myrcene hops or or what, but just European cultivars. I don't know. I'd be curious to hear what these guys have to say. What do you think, Charlie? Well, I was I was going to say um, some of the New World varieties. Are high in myrcene and dranial, and some of these really, really nice terpenes, right? That if we don't know what terpenes are, terpenes are the part of the hop that's giving us a lot of that aroma and that flavor. Um, you hear cannabis people talking about terpenes all the time. Well, terpenes are huge in brewing. Obvi- mm-hmm. Sorry, he's Vinny's getting out beer. Vinny's getting beer out. Yeah. Um, we 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 consequently are looking for hops and there's not a lot of data we've we've started at our brewery doing some gcms studies and we basically like all of our age tops at 0.5 beta and 0.4 alpha um that 
old world varieties, it just seems like the terpenes age nicer and there's not as much like isovaleric acid, that cheesiness. And um, I think it might be to just how the terpenes are degrading and what how they oxidize and we go through some chemical pathways that I don't want to bore you with right now. Well, but, some people might like to hear them. But, but I'm um, just trying to get even a basic... T- I'm glad that you're saying all this because you're helping me out. The first thing you're... Like, the reason an aged hop is because the alpha acids have degraded? Is that the initial purpose of an aged hop? I think that and then the oxidized alpha acids also okay. have a easier, easier solubility in the work. Yes. Got it. Okay. Jay, what's your take? Yeah, just since we're on the uh, aged hop train i guess you know we we use mostly fresh hops with pellets but we certainly use aged hops just anecdotally from other breweries we use we try to use uh whole cone more than pellets um some people report just a little bit higher i don't know phenolic finish on some of those beers and so we're happy to take their word for it with our um significantly less experience with that um and yeah what we're looking for is just Maybe more from like a sensory perspective, more of just like a a clean kind of hay, very neutral um, experience when you're kind of, you know, rubbing the hops, the aged hops between your hands. Um, but incidentally, we're on our our second year of brewing uh, spontaneous beer. And the first year's beer is it's actually turning out pretty nicely about a year into it. But it's it's a, it's more sour than we expected. And so there's like a widely cited uh, one pound per barrel of whole leaf uh, aged hops. Okay. And that's what we used. And I was just really surprised at that that didn't – the recommended kind of middle spot didn't restrain the acidity. Because we on the Sour Hour had talked about some breweries that started at 0.8 and then, st- and then there were too sour. And then some were at 1.2 and then it was not sour enough. And that kind of framed – what I, how I thought about it, and now I'm hearing a lot of breweries say, oh, one's not nearly enough, and now there's breweries doing 1.5 and 2, and even, again, the anecdote, I won't name them because maybe they'll, they're coming on the sour hour in a few weeks, <laughs> but uh, three pounds, some, some of their beers are three pounds per barrel okay. um, of aged hops, and that's what they find for their brewery. So I'm trying to learn a little bit more about it. And be a little more open-minded because previously I had thought that there was a really narrow range on at least the hopping rate that you would use. But one one, one thing I'm really interested in when it comes to the H hops is I wonder, and I've always felt a little bad about saying this, but and it's kind of like a, a brewer's blaspheme, where what percentage of traditional Belgian lambic and or goose, what, per, what percentage of that flavor that we all love from those beers is actually coming from aged hops. Hmm. So I'm not just interested in using aged hops in spontaneous beers per se, but you know I think you know if anyone was mentioning uh, off air that we were t- that you had fermented a an open top uh, saison, I think that would be a great candidate to have aged hops in and then age out with mixed culture and barrels. Um, there's there's so many options. Um, it's a good question because it goes away from the using using hops just for a preservative quality. Mm-hmm. Vinny, what do you think a, a flavor contribution is, and how you know if you could put a percentage on it? As Jay is kind of asking. So we're uh, to talk about quantities to make Sinambic, our spontaneous beer. I just ran some quick numbers. We're at about point eight seven to point nine. 
pounds per barrel okay. of, uh, of wort. So it's actually under the one pound, which is I've, I've widely heard that as, as a number being thrown around. Um, I think the uh, flavor that it contributes is um, this nice, uh, earthy, herbaceous, and sometimes ours do have a cheesiness. We don't measure ours. It's ours is all done sensory. Um, we use both aged pellets and whole cone, whole cone to make synambic most of the time, mm-hmm. pellets to do temptation, supplication, consecration. Um, but with that said, um, for temptation, supplication, consecration, we're also bittering with warrior hop extract that we get from Yakima Chief. So <laughs> that was a good plug, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Great <laughs> thanks for that, dude. But, well but, done. Um, so, so in there, we're mixing like fresh hops. So you know, warrior extract is like. 60 alpha or whatever the concentrated 63 usually but 63 yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and then we're so that's the first the bittering hop edition and then we're doing a big charge of of uh aged hop at the end so there we're we're mixing it so you know one of the reasons that um belgian lambic brewers use aged hops is to control the acidity as we've already said and it'll suppress um you know some of the bacterial growth but with you know, with that said, we're kind of adding in this layer of traditional, almost IPA brewing using extract hmm. in the beer to gain um, bitterness. And so uh, again, it goes back to what I'm saying: there is no right or wrong rule. Um, we started doing that early on just because I wanted to be able to control the bitterness in our three main base beers. And that was the whole purpose of saying, okay, we want to get to about 15 to 20 BUs for those three main base beers, and then we're going to let the aged hops be the flavor component to it. Okay. But I I really, to me, it was really important to control the bitterness of the beer um, because if you have a highly acidic sour beer that's got a lot of bitterness and then you add the CO2 on top of it – uh, to me, that's going to be a train wreck of flavors, you know, unless you back sweeten the beer and you blend in some beer to soften it up some. So, I see. And I, and I, but I, to, I throw the caveat, I've still not had a sour IPA. So I'm staring at Jay <laughs> well, right now, who <laughs> supposedly is making one, I hear. Possibly after well, the break. Um, just- so let me reframe this question because I think we can at least wrap up maybe this part of it with that. Uh, so. I love that you've given out this tip to control the bitterness and by using extract. I think that's uh, amazing. Um, And then you're saying that you're using aged hops, a charge at the end for flavor. So I want to ask you what flavor you think that's adding. And at the same time, Jay, I want you to think about, you mentioned that you actually use fresh hops mostly. You've only just started using a bit of aged hops. So I want to to ask you the same thing. You know, why and, and what flavor contribution do you think that gives? So what do you think I'm tasting in your beer from the from this charge of aged hops? I mentioned like herbal herbaceous notes, but I actually think it's less about direct exact flavors and it's more about balancing out other flavors or maybe not balance is the wrong word, maybe just being harmonious mm. with, you know, like supplication with the malt, with the cherries, with the tannins from the oak you know the and the and everything else i just think it's it's one component that maybe you can't pick out per se yeah and and for for us at russian river i'm not right now we're not making 
sour beer that has a really big hop component. I think maybe that we're kind of old school yeah. in, in that sense. And, you know, we'll let these young whippersnappers <laughs> come up and make, make these new styles. <laughs> we so, def- yeah, we love our hops for sure. Yeah. Uh, I think what I get out of it is, as I kind of alluded to earlier, some percentage of that indescribable goose lambic character. Now, again, to be clear, this is not that style of beer. And I know anyone who's sophisticated and classy enough to listen to this podcast right. already knows this whole story. But, you know, the spontaneous beer that we're making in the United States is not that beer. I just think some of the H tops and H top techniques that we're using can replicate some percentage of that indescribable flavor that we get in those beers, which I, I have described or I have interpreted myself, depending on the blender or brewer as somewhere in between like cedarwood or diesel, which I mean that in the best way. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think diesel smells good. <laughs> That's heavy feel concentration in the work, giving that kind of like diesel. And, and Charlie's weird. The rest of us say thiols, but he says theol. I say it all wrong. Just We could do a whole segment on that. You I was guys. like, I also say sarin wrap. <laughs> You're wrong. He, he's, an, he's an aluminum guy. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then just kind of that, I, what I describe as like Pez candy, almost like a chalky citrus thing, which I love again. I love Vita- all these vitamin things. C tablets. Yeah, exactly. So all these things kind of come in, and I think they're produced by these spontaneous cultures and that fermentation, but also a lot of the aged top. So I find them in, in both of those processes, but I don't think necessarily you have to do one or the other. I'm very interested in what is a spontaneous beer with fresh pellets, mm-hmm. not necessarily like new American hops, but how about just noble type hops? And then what is a Brett Saison or mixed culture Saison with aged hops and which one is more like Lambic or Goose? And not that that's the goal to like mimic, know, yeah, try and make it faster or cheaper or anything like that. It's just a different style of beer. And I think a lot of, that's a lot of what defines American sour beer is really a lot of new techniques and experiments. I'll have a beer for you in three weeks that we fermented with, well, I wouldn't call it conventional yeast, but with aged hops. So when we make Synambic, our spontaneous beer at the new brewery, mm-hmm. brew length, our brew house, technically 75 barrel cold wort knockout. We'll bring it down to about 70 barrel, and then we'll send about 25 to 30 barrels of wort to the cool ship to cool overnight. But that leaves us with a remaining, you know, 40 barrels, let's say, of wort that needs to be fermented. So we put it into our single-batch funky tank. That's why we do two batches two days in a row Hmm. to then be able to maximize that. But then we end up with literally like 70-ish, 80 barrels of what we would call orphan beer, which goes (laughs) into barrels. But you can only make so much orphan beer for topping, for blending, so we are using uh, Kvike yeast for the first time yeah. today. Wow! Yeah, but it's with aged, <laughs> but it's with aged hops because oh, okay. the wort stream just is hundred percent. Get on, get on the. Vinny's the only one who gives me scoops, so this is great. <laughs> so, so, I mean, here's going to be a beer that's fermented with kvike yeast at 98 degrees, but it's all aged hops. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And, she, um, she thought that was crazy for going to 90. So it's going to be 
a really a sign of what, and we may even dry hop it. Oh, no. oh my God! Emily, Emily. <laughs> Russian River dry hopping a beer? No. So we'll see. Awesome. We'll see where it goes, but but it will be a, a pseudo, you know, a non funky fermentation with aged hops. Okay. Oh, so. Vinny, please send me some for the uh, <laughs> yeah, for the go. lab. Um, but I, I gotta I gotta actually interject you guys and, and ask you guys a question, which is that. So you're you're talking about these this age hop character and this the, the noble character here. Um, what I would be really interested in seeing is the starting oil and alpha values of what you consider um, a good addition, because a lot of the traditional stuff has been uh, off gassed for quite a long time, and they've been aged pre aged before they even get to the brewery, and then they're aged even more. So you're losing a lot of uh, of the volatiles and, and and stuff like that. So so if you're talking about you know you know killing your killing your microbes and and or inhibiting the microbes, sorry, the, the lactose specifically and some of the PDO strains, um, using your 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 non aromatic uh, uh, hops, if you start with a more aromatic U.S. variety, and like you said, that you, you, you tend to get some some of the off flavors from the aged U.S. varieties. As 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 someone who's in the hop industry, I, I would I, I would hypothesize that um, it is basically just due to the fact that there's a lot more of those oils and of those compounds in a lot of these U.S. aromatic varieties. Whereas you said Mount Hood varieties and Willamette and stuff like that are a lot better. They're much lower oil. They're much lower alpha and beta. So uh, just... just I think there's more left over. Even I, think, after the I think there's more left over yeah. after the age. And also there's, there's more left over that has been oxidized and changed in weird ways. Mm-hmm. So um, I, that, that would be something that would we, we should definitely talk about and look at. So You'd have to pick your favorite one. You know, this batch came out perfect. Know where that stuff's been sitting and for how long in order to send it to to, to a lab, right? Like you'd really have to then. Yeah, this one was my favorite. Please got, do. We've know. got some. <laughs> we've got some four to five now five and a half year old uh, cascades from a brewery that I won't name, so you don't ask them for the same hop. <laughs> right. But I'll just say they've been aging in a barn. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's a question, just a, a simple question oh, I, I have for you guys. Once you guys get these hops, how do you age? How are you storing them? Um, I mean, obviously, you don't care if they're in your refrigerator anymore. Uh, what do you do? No, the one, one thing that we found at uh, Russian River is that you really need to open the bags up. It's pretty incredible how the Mylar bags that hop, um, hop pellets mm-hmm. are going on or whole cone hops that are in Mylar. It's amazing how... Um, good they hold even at room temperature. I mean, trust me, it's not stuff you'd want to make IPA with. Yeah, but we've opened bags, mylar bags that are a couple few years old, and be like, "Geez, they're still really green. They're not even brown." Wow, yeah, they haven't changed all that much. So, first thing is open them up. So we we store them um, in big micro bins. They're you know, I don't, the things you I see them all around Sonoma County being grapes picked into. We've got oh, yeah. a bunch of those, and we and we stage them okay. so they're they're rotated through. I and, see. Um, we store them in our boiler room. Our, our boiler room at the new brewery is not warm; it's very well ventilated, so it's actually the coolest boiler room I've ever been in. Hmm. But if you do want to super quick age your hops at a brewery, you can literally. 
put them in your boiler room. We've done that in the past, and they quick age. Okay. Or at home next year, or on top of your hot water heater, or something like that, or on top of your fridge, or okay, that top sort of, the of thing. Is a good one. That's actually I a really use. good way to super age, quick age your hops to if you want to get to using, you know, aged hops. Yeah. So. On top of the walking. No. Uh, okay. As a suggestion, yeah. though, if you are if you are going to try to age uh, T90 pellets or any sort of pellets. Uh, break them up first. So stick them in a coffee grinder if you're going to try to age them, um, because the pellets themselves actually uh, they'll be the outer layer will oxidize, but the inner half or inner three quarters won't. So uh, go ahead and grind them up if you're going to try to do that. Um, and uh, you know it it, it 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 deeply hurts my soul because um, yeah. we try to make them good. But uh, uh, if that's what you're going for, do it. But also just you know call us up. We might uh we yeah. might have some for you. We put them into burlap sacks. Okay, yep. a little more yes. airflow, traditional, yeah, rustic as fuck. And then they just, <laughs> and, then they, and then they sit with the rest of your barrels at the at the. Brewery. We put it right in the tasting room, so we just look more awesome. <laughs> Let people sit on them. I mean, we're in Berkeley. We're not really in a barn, <laughs> right? No, actually, they're, it's a industrial barn. warehouse sale. They're not. They're not in the tasting room. A lot of barn barn aromas, though. Hipsters and. Yeah, you get the same thing. Well, yeah. here's what I'm going to do. We're going to take a real quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about uh, what happens to hop compounds in, inside sour beers, inside fermentation. Uh, kind of dive into a little more of the chemistry. I'll let you guys take that. So, Justin, hey, can I yes. mind if I do a tease also? I, I don't. Uh, we have some rare barrel sour IPA. Uh, get some Vinny thoughts on the record. Is that going to be the fir- his first taste of a sour IPA? Yeah, I don't know. so this is, is like breaking news too. Well, this is like, <laughs> yeah, be I, my first sour IPA. I feel uh, like Adam Schefter of the beer world. It kind right of all now. comes down to uh, yeah, if you like Nelson because it's 100. Um, percent Bevo, get the close up camera ready. I, I want it right on all Vinny's face so we yeah. can really know if he enjoys it or not. He won't be able to lie his way out of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, hang in there. It's the Hop and Brew School podcast, and we'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to the Hop and Brew School podcast. We are hanging out with Vinny Chalurzo, Charlie Johnson, and Jay Goodwin. We're talking about sour beers and hops. Um, and before the break, of course, we were we were talking about uh, aged hops and uh, um, fresh hops, uh, or new hops, rather. Um, and I wanted to talk about some of the uh, what happens uh, in sour fermentation with hops, uh, what the compounds do. Um, you know, that might be different than in other beers. But quickly before we do that, Charlie had a great question at the break, um, wanting to uh, to talk about the noble hop varieties that you guys were mentioning. Well, actually, it's uh, American Noble. American Noble, okay. Which is kind of this product that Yakima Chief came out with that was a debittered hop pellet. Um, we've used, started using it a little bit in kind of some Saison type beers and or saison grisette slash whatever you want to call them and um other kind of mixed culture ferments and i was wondering if, if either of you guys had worked with that product at all or what your thoughts were on it um because it is it's kind of like yakima chief started making a product that's like halfway there 
for the brewer that's looking for something that doesn't have as much alpha, but still some of that old world slash new world kind of terroir. Okay. So if, if we if we go back to it a little bit, just to, to remind people, the American Noble is the flip side of the cryo. So we've got the uh, concentrated lupulin glands uh, that, that have been separated from most of the BRAC material on the hops. Um, and then uh, the uh, American Noble is the uh, separated and concentrated leaf material. And so what you find is that a lot of the... Uh, I'm saying uh, a lot. Um, a lot of the the concentrated polyphenols and the and the concentrated uh, enzymes and a lot of the concentrated other character that, that resides in that noble um, is there without the alpha and without the beta acids. Mm-hmm. So you still get a little bit of varietal character, but you're talking at an incredibly low uh, alpha and beta levels. So it's 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 it, it pretty much matches the spec that you guys were mentioning, or at least that Charlie mentioned earlier. Sounds like an ideal sour beer hop. And that that was the idea. Is yeah. that we, we were thinking, hey, that's it. this could actually work for people. So I'd really love people to try try it. So. Jay, have you used it? No, I'm interested though. I yeah. mean, it does get you kind of. Part of the way to the the aged hop kind of concept, but yeah. I'm sure it would be very different at the same time. But certainly, I'm interested in checking that out. Vinny, you use them? Uh, never used it. I literally have like ten thousand pounds of aged hops right now. Okay, <laughs> yeah. So you've got <laughs> so like I'm I'm kind of good yeah. on that front. Um, Charlie, you have of, used them? Yeah, I actually brought one beer that we have it in as okay. well, but. I, don't, I I liked them yeah. quite a bit. I, I felt like we were really able to control our bittering units, kind of how Vinny mentioned earlier with the Warrior um, extract. We, yeah. we, extract. We were doing something really similar with the American Noble, trying to kind of dial in bittering units. But um, Yeah. And it doesn't, what I was talking about earlier, it doesn't have to be extract. Okay. You know, especially if there's a home brewer listening. It could be pellets, fresh pellets. It'd be like a Q-tip of X. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, Popsicle stick is the one, But, like, the one thing when you look at the, like, academia world, look that talk about aged hops is that they do often talk about the beta uh, acids not breaking down and decomposing, and that that's really where the... Um, the antimicrobial part of it lives in the hops. Um, it's it's one of those things that's always been talked about, hmm. but I'm not sure if it's technically ever been studied. <laughs> you know, it's one of those like those 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 family stories that gets passed down <laughs> from year to year. You know, it's like yeah. I mean seriously, and like when I mean when I started in the craft beer industry, first started home brewing in the late '80s, and then started my first brewery in the '90s early 90s like he was like you mash for one hour as a even you know for a single infusion and then you must boil 60 minutes and yeah or 90 minutes or mm-hmm. whatever it is you and must like, have a boil addition and then and then one day dr lewis at uc davis is like you know the malt these days is so incredibly um high in diastatic power that you're getting conversion literally instantly. Wow. And so we started working backwards and it was like, now we mash for like 30 minutes. Really? It was like, <laughs> you know, on the commercial level, if you're going to brew four brews in a day, it's like, I just shaved a bunch of time off. That's a day. lot. Granted, you start laying brews on top of each other, but I think you get the point that a lot of times we do things just because 
they it was that was how it was done. Was believed how yeah. it was done, and um, and and so I think that's the beauty of where we're at is looking at these different things and these different products. And I've always, do you know what uh, you know the hop tea maker? Mm-hmm. That's always cur- That's always been a really curious hop to me. Do you guys know Tea Maker? Tea Maker is a Never high beta, low alpha. Like mm. it's it's like half a degree, one degree alpha acid, but can be as high as eight um, percent uh, beta. And so that's an interesting. It has this really unique tea quality um, to it. One of our direct contracts um, grows it, okay. and, and it's been looked at actually in the um, um, agricultural world to feed to chickens. Instead of tetracycline as a uh, antibiotic, interesting. They, they'll, they'll, they'll mix the the uh, tea maker hop into their feed to try to prevent bacteria and whatnot. It's a, it's a really curious uh, wow. Hop, and uh, so. it, I believe it's also used as a a, a methane suppressor in cattle hmm. in Europe. Um, Sounds good is, for beer it, too. Get then it, get it in the studio. <laughs> well, the, the get issue in that is, is that it tastes weird. Uh, get it into Vinny's fermenters where I, I left something. <laughs> Sounds brilliant. Um, but uh, the, the so, have you brewed with it? Uh, home brewed with it years yeah. ago. Okay, and, yeah. How did it uh, taste? and it was a it was a hack uh, <laughs> job on pelletine and whatnot. Okay. Um, and um, actually, the beer had this nice kind of tea quality to it. I didn't I actually didn't mind it, hmm. um, but um, but I'm curious about maybe something unique like this in like the aged hop beer we're doing and see how it plays in. But this yeah. um, this other new uh, what was it called American American Noble American Noble Yeah, so it's it's the uh, it's the flip side of that cryo side. So we, we first, first time I've ever heard of it. Actually, I've hmm. been in a hole the last two years building the brewery. <laughs> got to start listening to this podcast again. Yeah, I, I, I got to say, Vinny, though, I, you uh, you have gained a person in, in, in at least three years since I saw you in November. Like, not not a person in size, but in terms, in terms of vivacity <laughs> and, and, and life. Like, you... So you where you, are you going with this, Nick? Uh, uh, I'm yeah. sorry. I just meant that he looks stressed right. and really tired. Okay. Now he looks happy and good. Um, anyway, uh, the, the thing is, is, is that with the beta acids, they actually do... They don't necessarily break down, but they do oxidize. Yeah. Um, they, they still function. I guess I should have said that, oxidized. Mm. Yeah. But they, they still function uh, in, the, in the, that antimicrobial way. And uh, with as just with as the uh, oxidized alpha and all that, you, you do get better um, solubilization. So uh, that at that point, the beta will start to contribute a significantly higher proportion of, of, of the bitter flavoring and mouthfeel. One thing I kind of wanted to digress on, since we're talking about sour beers and we've and hops is actually the type of acid in the wort okay before it's going in to fermentation or the being dry hopped later on um, acids and alcohols ferment or oxidize I guess into ethyl esters they're called which create lots of different anything from a tropical fruit to Dranial will break down into citronella, mm-hmm. right? Or citronella. Um, so yeah, citronella. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, so when we start looking at you know certain hops and I, how they break down or compare with acids, depending on the acid that's in solution, you might have a different flavor or ester kind of. Okay. So when we talk about like biotransformation, we've heard that kind of come up a lot lately with Saccharomyces and the hazy IPAs. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we kind of can have that same effect with different organic acids in our wort. So when we build beers that are going to go into barrels, we work at look at wort composition. So it's not just always dextrins and sugars. It's also what type of organic acids are going to be in there that are going to be kind of biotransformed by the Britannomyces and then have a chance to bind up with the different hop polyphenols when you dry hop later on. I see. Um, the beer that we just poured, I apologize, it's not fully conditioned, is uh, a Koji Brett beer. So That's we what use, I was going to say about it. It's <laughs> just not enough carbonation. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's okay. My cold box is filthy. Your beer is not, uh, you know. And Vinny was just messing with you on both sides. So come on. But... Um, yeah, so I guess one one thing, I don't know how uh, Jay and Vinny and Nick feel about the different types of acids, but we've been really working with trying to come up with different kind of acid compounds. So this one's a lot of citric acid from yellow koji fermentation on the barley, um, but, you know, obviously lactic acid from different souring processes is also going to just one of those things I always try to point out is yeah. word composition. So, and then just so I understand the acids that go into this, are, you're, you're putting them there? So is this like the difference between a kettle sour or, or adding lactic Just to help me understand when... Yeah, so I guess when we talk about kettle souring, I mean, the Germans have been kettle souring, and I'm using air quotes right now. They've been souring in the mash or creating acids far before we all got on Milk the Funk and started talking about yeah. kettle souring. Um, so when I talk about acids, yeah, I'm talking about literally trying to manipulate our brewing equipment to create different organic acids okay. in our wort. Um, so when I look at sour beer, I have a, I'm, I'm lucky I got to listen to Jay talk to all these wonderful brewers, and I got to grow up drinking Russian River and stuff. So you have all of these kind of people that influence you so when we look at sour beer we kind of are trying to layer it and look at all these kind of different components so by creating citric acid or like if home brewer didn't want to use go through the whole koji ferment you know buffering your kettle uh to a ph of four or five with grapefruit juice maybe hmm. instead of food grade lactic or phosphoric is going to create a different organic acid that's going to interact differently with Britannomyces and the hop compounds later on down the road. I guess one I of my one of my uh, um, like one of my favorite because I don't know if I've had it once or twice, but interesting quote here's the air quote again: kettle sour, but it wasn't really. Was Avery's Goza, um, mm. yummy, and yummy, yummy. they use lime juice. Ah. to get it. So they're technically not doing a kettle sour. And I thought that was a really cool, unique. And then it added this whole great layer of flavor um, to the beer. So again, you know, just thinking creative outside the box, home brewer, commercial brewer, um, just easily being able to pull some different acids. Yeah. Well, so this is this is what I think is, is has been really interesting for me as a brewer over the last couple of years and also talking to you guys and Charlie, um, we, we we briefly talked about this earlier. Is that there? There is. It's really important to understand that sourness can be sort of described as a pH or as titratable acidity, and that TA, the titratable acidity, is going to reflect the, a little bit more of the complexity that is in your sour beer. 
Um, but when you start looking at things like the balance of phosphoric acid to citric to malic acid, so I've had I've had beers where people have intentionally added malic acid in a way that it's going to persist post fermentation. So they're actually adding it after filtration and just before packaging uh, to give it a little bit of a harsher bite, which is you know sort of mostly anathematic to most to most brewers' attitude. Um, and it's it's really interesting to see what what happens. Um, in terms of kettle sours, some of the some, like when I did some sour IPAs, what I found is that adding uh, so the first one I did that was a, a sort of a sour a, sour, a kettle sour and, and and I used the time honored tradition of dumping a bag of or, or suspending a bag of malt of acidulated malt into the into the kettle and souring it and you know honestly seventy five percent of the time that worked pretty well mm-hmm. I mean you didn't get too much butyric or anything like that but. Uh, but you did end up with, and I, this was this in, in Scotland. I was, I was there at the time, and you would end up with a, uh, a a tremendously high level of citric acid being produced. And if I did the exact same thing about 300 miles south, I did not get that same production of citric acid. And this is from the same lot, same producer mm. of, of of this material, same same not the same water, obviously. But um, that led me to believe that something else was going on, uh, and. That citric acid beer was, to my mind, far better than the exact same recipe I followed, hmm. you know, 300 miles south. That's um, why I don't envy you, brewers. There's too many damn variables. <laughs> like, s- side note, this um, Rare Barrel Nelson Sour IPAs. I haven't tried really that yet. Beautiful. Yours, Charlie, though, it's interesting that Vinny mentioned the adding lime juice at, at Avery. Yours has like a lemon-lime uh, kind of flavor to it. Yeah, it's kind of got this like lemon-citric thing. And uh, so the yellow koji is a mutant variety of white koji, and it creates just tons of – it ferments citric acid. That's mm. all it does. So paired that with a lot of high limonene and geranial hops, there is uh, – the American Noble Citra, Normal Citra, and then Centennial, Oregon-grown Centennials. So we're trying to kind of match those terpenes yeah. with the acids, and then it kind of tricks your brain into thinking you're squeet eating a lemon. I think it's a nice blend. Yeah, They go I, well together. Thanks. Where, where did your Oregon Centennials come from? I think Crosby. Those things are beautiful. I love Crosby. Mm-hmm. I Speaking mean, of Crosby, a little tip of hat to Jennifer, Jennifer Crosby, Crosby. Yeah. who passed away. Oh, yeah, cheers oh, to Jennifer. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, no, to Jennifer. So, cheers, y'all. Big part of the Oregon hop scene. Yes, so. big time. Okay, and so now we're in our glass. We've got Jay's uh, I- Sour IPA. Yes. Is that what we have? And, it's, yep. and Vinny's, you've really never had a Sour IPA? That surprises me. No, I've been living in a hole the last, well, <laughs> an 85,000 square foot hole the last. It's a beautiful hole, though. So. The beautiful hole with many fermenters. Some of them are concrete. Right. Um, Man, this is great. So. Well, it just, smells, no, it just no. smells like a great IPA. Smells I haven't like tasted it yet, but the aroma is just, yeah. No way I can win on this one, then. Uh, but this is a straightforward, hazy IPA mm-hmm. with 100% Nelson. And essentially, we do what every other brewery does to get that done. And we actually serve side-by-side uh, side in our tasting room the sour version and the, the clean beer version oh. of this, which is really interesting for us to do. But also hazy. It's also same hazy. Okay. So lots um, of, like, oats and wheat and flour. Not, not, not flour? A cra- no, no, not a crazy <laughs> amount. No. A crazy <laughs> amount of Bad hops. Um, you know, the, like that classic London 3 ale strain. I was going to say, this, this of, tastes like a London 3. So. Tons of dry hopping and... Uh, London three kind of gets you home with the haziness. We okay. do use oats, but it's not it's nothing 
crazy. I think it's like 10, so. Your so yours is yeast hazy, not protein hazy. Yeah, or definitely not uh, protein hazy. Yeah. And then essentially at the end of it, we we blend in um, sour barrel aged sour beer that uh, is a, a similar similar finishing gravity. And we do advise people to to drink this, you know, right away. Um, but what gave us confidence to kind of cross that threshold is that we made a beer like this that was draft only about a year more or now more like maybe a year and a half ago that we did just we have a a small scale um can seamer and we put some in cans to see how they would hold up Mm -hmm. because we thought maybe sometime in the future we would do something like this and we do sell them in cans and uh now all right so now i feel bad about saying this but we had a a big (laughs) tasting about with tons of great beers and um i you know i don't like to say this kind of thing but it, this that one year old can yeah. was the best beer I had. Is that right? On the whole tasting, and I was just like, maybe we should do this. And everyone was like, yeah. <laughs> so we rotate. We rotate down. It took five years. <laughs> wow. So, so Jay, this is actually a really interesting thing. Is that so? So historically, the literature says that higher pH is a more stable beer, but they're talking about bitterness, and they're talking about sort of. Uh, so they're talking about bitterness, and they're talking about classic. Uh, sort of clarity and shelf stability from the macro perspective. But what anecdotally and, and, and somewhat experimentally I've found is that aroma and, and flavor tends to persist quite well um, when there is a low pH. So like the, the, the sour IPAs actually hold their, you know, value for, I mean, up to a year and a half that, hmm. we, that we found at, at previous breweries that I worked at. And, uh, and 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 that that was really interesting to me. And I'm trying to figure out what the mechanism is. I'm not I'm not sure if it's an antioxidant effect from the acids or what, but it but it's a it's a it's a, it's an interesting thing. Well, I can't comment comment on the mechanism, but I would say actually you, you kind of the switch the script there. But I want to point out that you know thriving and persisting are two different things. So I ah, think good point. Hops thrive at higher pH, and there's no doubt that the hoppy clean beer version of this beer is way hoppier like just and i've been going back i have blind pig in front of me right now and i've been going back and forth because actually i don't think this uh sour ipa that we made is is very sour at all in fact it no the, there's the, no sourness at all the the ph is no. like three eight yeah, you can't taste it kind, nine. kind of going back to an old sour hour episode right yeah and so what we what we've been trying to do is hmm. hit that sweet spot where it's um perceptibly sour which you can argue about mm-hmm. um, and we do internally quite a bit um, but as we add sour beer we're losing hop character for every little bit that we blend in I see. so we're doing it very carefully and then we hit a sweet spot we taste it against the regular beer which when you have them side by side it's and that's what I'm trying to do right now with Blind Pig and I you know there's a that's Vinny, do you really think there's no sour at all in it? I, think I, I find a it little... quite tart. I find it quite tart. I, I, it's it's I, lovely, but it's amazing. The I don't get a lot of yeah. acidity in it. No, I find the it range of acidity. Off. That's what I meant. I'm no. sorry. It's, it's very interesting though. Yeah. Like because it, the, I'd say we're, our overall target, and we've only done this two or three times, is probably a little more sour than it is right now, okay. but not by much. And, but we want to find sour beer from our cellar that is more lactically acidic so we can blend in less volume yeah. and so we're we're getting to the acidity level that we want without losing the hops because 
it's not um, doesn't correlate with how much volume we add. We probably do an eighty twenty split, and the loss in hop aroma is fifty percent instead of twenty percent. Mm-hmm. So it's every little bit hurts us that we blend in to get to the appropriate acid level. It's but we pretty, like it's pretty hoppy. I was going to say it's, it's really hoppy. Yeah. it's really hoppy. I mean, Nelson is it's a good choice of hops if you can continue to get this hoppy around in good shape. Which we will. Like, I got we're, we're, we're a small producer, yeah. so right. uh, we can just kind of go on this on the spot market. I, I'm going to ask kind of a backhanded question, Jay. And Thank it's, you. That's, it's because we're friends, and I know that I can do this. But if sour IPAs were a good idea, mm-hmm. wouldn't we use fresh hops in sour beers? In other words, aren't the same things that maybe we're trying to avoid by using aged hops... Is the reason there's never really been a sour IPA? Uh, well, you asked a few different questions. So. <laughs> I meant it to be one. Just one backhanded <laughs> one. <laughs> so let me an- try to answer your, the thought behind your question by not answering your question. Fair, fair, fair. Yeah. So when we make these beers, we make them three ways. We make an IPA plain, and that's so all the hopping is at higher pHs, and the only time this beer exists in a sour format is right at the very end when we blend in sour beer. Okay. We've got the regular IPA. We've got this sour IPA. And then we take a portion of the sour IPA. And this is maybe where I make it. I'm not going to look at Vinny when I said this. But, <laughs> uh, we send a portion of, that, of this beer into oak barrels for aging. And I've got to say, it's... The number one thing I'm the most excited about in beer, period. Okay. Because those beers, uh, you know, to something we talked about earlier, where they they don't, like the hops aren't thriving. They are surviving and sustaining and transforming. Yeah. You could not mistake the fresh IPA for even this beer or the barrel-aged version. But to that point of that year-old can, and that, by the way, that was warm-stored. Okay. And Interesting. As it should be. So really different things are happening with well, that much hops. It was gorgeous. Yeah. It was gorgeous. And there's there's so much there that we haven't uncovered, and I'm I'm really excited about it. Okay. Good answer, Jay. Thank you. Charlie, you were going to chime I, in there. Yeah, I was going to say, sometimes Britannomyces has the ability to kind of preserve hops a little bit. Um, not into the same fresh extent, but because of the biotransformation with different ethyl esters and things, you'll see... Like, I, I love Brett Klossinii, um conditioned IPAs. Like, I, I don't, Brett C tends to be, or Anomalous, uh, it tends to be, I guess, a little more restricted on some of the phenols, and it's mm-hmm. got a little high, nicer ester profile for me, at least personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen it anecdotally preserve ipas and transfer them into really beautiful beers going back to like vinnie's kvik i've seen a couple of really cool nordic style ipas or kviks with like motoeka or something conditioned with klossinii and they're just like tropical fruit slappy in the face beautiful you'd never think they're a brett beer actually and um i so i guess I, I don't know with your guys's, but some of the we've tried to actually kind of start conditioning some IPAs to release way later on down the road. All all this all these IPA brewers, 
which I mean, we're an IPA brewery. Yeah. Right <laughs> all these. No, yeah. really. All was, these. It, was it Pliny but the something? All of the, all of the new hazy IPA. They've been. They're talking biotransformation. For those of us that have been bottle conditioning with Brett for a long time, <laughs> yeah. This is nothing new. Right? Biotransformation, Britannomyces is the, the original yeast catalyst that has the beta-glucoside enzyme in it. And it's not all Brett strains, just like, but it's even less Saccharomyces strains that we, have we, that. And, and so, like, we, anytime we make a Brett finished beer, um, when we made Tornado 30th, the Sonoma Pride line that we've done, Amasa Down Hour, both dry hopped. Uh, we have another beer coming out that will be dry hopped with um, bottle condition with Brett. Anytime we bottle condition with Brett, we always dry hop that beer because the Britannomyces is doing that very thing where it's it's not even preserving the hops, but it is the biotransformation. It's the it's the glycoside effect that I always call it, where the glycosides are are liberating, you know, are liberated via the the yeast that you're using, and Britannomyces is the best thing to do that I'll, I'll double down on that just because just a quick summation of maybe everything we've talked about on the sour hour and at the rare barrel mm. uh, we we started knowing that um some people struggle to produce acidity in their early sour beer programs and that hurts them because then they age it for a long time oxygen gets in too much ethyl acetate too much acetic acid so we went one ibu maybe not even just like a sprinkling of hops for a long time Culture got too strong, beer got too sour, so we needed to use drier primary fermentation yeast and more hops. And I think for a long time we made very clean sour beer, um, just free from off flavors, very nice. Mm-hmm. And right when we started using more hops to control acidity, going back to the, one of the first questions we talked about on this show, we, we saw our Brett character in our beers rise dramatically using all the same cultures and i really think you're right with what you're saying Vinny. that like that that hop yeast connection really started with with sour beers and that's where you get a lot of those Mm -hmm. wonderful yeast aromatics even though a lot of them are from wild yeast that's why i always chuckle when someone's like my nipa yeast is super expressive (laughs) yeah (laughs) Not, 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 not that it isn't but yeah. Let's Let me introduce you to a little yeast called my little yeast called Britannomyces. Yeah. And, and this is this is one of those things that that I I as a as a brewer have been struggling for a while is that a lot of the so 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 even talking to the the yeast providers and all that stuff. Have you guys ever seen evidence that a Saccharomyces species actually does any biotransformation? Well, it's funny. We talk about this all the time at the brewery. Is it that there's biotransformation, or is it the fact that you dry hopping with five fucking pounds of hops per barrel? <laughs> exactly. And there's and, and there's a major yeah. acid and again, change. Is no, <laughs> this is no knock on anyone doing because we make a couple of hazy beers, and we just blew out of the second batch of Mind Circus in like a New York minute, and it was like, Jesus Christ, where did it all go? Yeah. Um, in my belly. And, Everybody's fair. Yeah, but... Um, but I do wonder if um, some of this is just pure quantity of hops, and and um, and it's less about biotransformation. And what what also hasn't been fully established, at least that I've seen, and maybe it's out there because I've been building the brewery for the last couple of years, is a list of all the main yeasts, and is it um, you know positive 
or negative for biotransformation. Is it is it, is it a G oh. positive or a POF positive sort of idea? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I and I'm sure it's somewhere out there, but um, yeah. Yeah. but maybe well, not. I don't know. I, um, I actually have a list. But Ooh, on, of what, I consider, what I consider biotransformation by yeast or reactions triggered by beer pH. Data boy, Charlie. Yes, and that is he what, didn't my, even, the, he, and that the is what I was leaning at. He didn't turn on his phone. That's his background. No, no, no. I did, I did turn my phone on. <laughs> yeah. I, had to take, I had to take notes. I did have to take notes. But so we have glycosidically – Vinny mentioned, you know, glycosides. So we have mm-hmm. glycosidically bound aroma precursors, right? Yes. That, that's one. The other would be acids that are converted into ethyl esters is the second. And then esters that are transesterified mm-hmm. or hydrolyzed, right? And So, Charlie, you're going to have to back it down a little bit and okay. explain what the last two mean. You, well, you did look at Justin and said it, right? And, and I'm like, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> obviously, Charlie. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. And well, we'll s- let's skip hydrolysis today. No, no, That's- no. Just just explain what the result is. <sighs> Flavor actively. Okay, so sour hour has been rescheduled for tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, sorry, guys. but but well, it, but it relates directly with Britannomyces. Yes, this, these are all yeah. Britannomyces related, and then monoterpene alcohols yes. are isomerized as well, which would be the terpenes from the hops. Or your polyphenols from the hops interacting with the alcohols and the esters currently in your barrel, or your stainless steel fermenter, or your bucket at home in the liquid and okay. changing. In the liquid stuff. and changing. So, kind of back to Vinny saying, you know, talking about. I I certainly have no. I don't know information about Saccharomyces doing biotransformation, but Brett certainly does. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot. Brewing's cool because it's all autodidactic, which means we're teaching ourselves, right? There's not a whole lot of – but at the same time, that's kind of frustrating because there's not also not a lot of money backing some of this research and trying to – Right. I Hang think, on, the, I think totally there is now. The interesting thing about biotransformation is that, um, yes, there are Saccharomyces strains that are positive for beta-glucosides, but um, when you – talk to or listen to other brewers, almost all of them talk about waiting after fermentation is done because they want to be able to pull the yeast and be Mm -hmm. able to reuse it. Whereas if you pitch your dry hop one or two days before the end of gravity, when your yeast is still active, molecularly active, which is what scientifically they say that's when you need to add... um, you know, hops for the biotransformation to work with Saccharomyces, but then you can't pull your yeast or you do, it's going to be full of, full, full of hops. That's the cool thing about dry hopping a beer and then adding some Britannomyces in the bottle exactly. per se too, which is really interesting. Um, our experience has been is that it doesn't need to be a full active fermentation. It can be, you can dry hop and then you bottle condition with the yeast. You're almost doing it reverse you know, mm-hmm. whereas whereas with, I mean, you're, I, I guess it's not reverse, but you're you're it's and it's such a small amount of breadth that you typically bottle condition with also. But to me, it's it's one place where you can create some really great unique flavors with breadth, and and it could be on a a sour beer, it could be like uh, an Orval type That's beer. Exactly what I was going to bring up Stuart Wall. And you know Jean-Marie Rock, the now retired brewmaster from from or at Orval, he I mean that's 
that's what he spent his last 20 years focusing on is the the glycoside effect, the biotransformation and dry hopping and what is the, the breadth strains that Orval have. And and it does tie in with, with what we're mm-hmm. talking about to kind of loop it all together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bitter, young, hoppy beer that you have in Belgium. And then by the time we get it here in the United States, oh, that's – what do you think the classic – maybe if you could pick one probably from – Vinny, that's like a more classic bread expression beer, but the all-time classic bread beer that you think about, it's Orval. Mm-hmm. But if yeah. you have it over there, no. Orval no, not so much. No, if you, mm. so, so one, of the, one of the wonderful things that I, I get to experience is because of, of being Ekema Chief, they, we supply some of their hops, and they, uh, they send us fresh Orval at Brow every year, and we also request a couple of cases of year-old Orval yeah. and six-month-old Orval, and it's just this wonderful spectrum mm. of hangovers. I mean, uh, delicious. <laughs> yeah. It's always uh, my first stop at Brow is the Yakima Chief booth to drink Orval. <laughs> nice, yeah. Because when it's fresh, it's beautiful and floral and white. I've never had it fresh. I've or, never Orval tasted days. it. I once, yeah. I once, I'll bring you some back. I once did a tasting at Orval with Jean-Marie Rock where we tasted like two-week, three-week, four-week, and then like, you know, after four-week it was like, Six week, eight week, and then three month, four month, five month, six, mm-hmm. eight. Nine. And it was like twelve or fifteen. It was amazing to see like the beer is it's 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 like a butterfly. It's just, it's changed in uh, so right. much from a caterpillar to a butterfly, and it's just this metamorphosis of flavor. And that's and a lot of that is the Brett developing. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's also this really nice, really bright citrus hop note when you drink really young hmm. you know and or you know or of all and so i think the discussion on the sour you know hopping with sour beers doesn't just have to be pigeonholed to you know specifically sour beer it can be brett finished beer and and on the same note we just made our first kettle sour this beer called she's so italian and so we we did it with uh about natalie with uh no actually it's an italian reference <laughs> okay. with uh, augustino from birificio italiano okay so she has like the most show. italian looking woman in but, california uh, that's for sure but but anyways well interesting is that you know i i've used this hop load if you will hop addition to get you know like 30 bu's in a beer and then you add it to a beer that's been acidified in the kettle and the ph is much lower and the beer is only like 12 or 14 bu's yeah. so in a conventional blonde beer we would be at 30 bu's but in the in the environment of having uh high acidity, mm-hmm. low pH, um, it was like 12 or 14. And it was beautiful. That's what we wanted. I mean, it, that was what I was hoping, and it and it worked. Right. And this goes back. Armand <laughs> said, I brew between my pinky. Yeah. And he crosses his fingers. <laughs> fingers, yeah. So, uh, those guys are great. Uh, this, so this, uh, this actually goes back to what we, we had, the last episode we had with John Palmer talking about that dropping pH and raising pH and, and changing the, the, the bittering. But now the but what I, I'm interested to find out, Vinny, about the uh, perceived bitterness um, on that beer, because with the lower pH, even though the BUs are low, um, it has been pretty well, at least sensorily, anecdotally, and somewhat studied because it's sensory science, so it's a little difficult, established that with the lower pH and, 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 and a, a good amount of acidity, the higher acidity, bitterness becomes accentuated. So a 15 at BU beer actually might taste Quite a bit more bitter than a thirty BU regular Kolsch or Pale. Hmm. You think there's a perceived bitterness uh, change? This, this beer is probably not a good 
um, you know, case study, if you will. Okay. Only because it's got a bunch of botanicals okay. in it. So it's just layered. It's got roses, Fun violets, black pepper, right. honey. And so you get this sweetness from the honey, even though it's fermented out, and elderberry juice that's fermented out. And um, so it's the first time. I mean, it's so not a normal Russian River type beer, but I just, you know, we had, we knew that it would be less bitter on paper mm-hmm. and it was and thankfully flavor wise but it, but if i wonder if all these botanicals weren't in it it, nah, it yeah, would be a different a different thing okay. be wary you of know. wormwood for all of y'all though yeah. just 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 so you know <laughs> i love wormwood in my absinthe yeah <laughs> and beer it gets a bit rough can i throw out just one crazy idea yeah from sort of coming off our last conversation which just as a quick side note you know with um so many great resources out there what so I'm going to get us to a quick break, but Jay doesn't give me the the tease it sign. Which yeah, is him just looking at me. Exactly. Usually, sometimes I raise my eyebrows. Yeah, he's doing it. <laughs> <laughs> he's giving me the look. So my question is, um, what do you guys think about this? And maybe it's a crazy idea, or I don't know if it's been thrown out before. But you know, uh, Vinny, you talked about with Brett beers or mixed culture beers, dry hopping, and then bottle conditioning with Brett. So one thing that I've been kicking around, and this is for after the break, mm-hmm. but you know, we've been talking about hop creep and increasing, you know, we, we, we can take a, a gravity sample on these beers that we heavily dry hop. And sometimes what a lot of brewers are reporting is about a one Play-Doh pickup, which coincidentally, that's about how much sugar we add at bottle conditioning. So my Amazing. teaser question yes. is, could you dry hop a beer and then send it to bottles and it's a complete refermentation with just hop sugar. Best and we'll get to that question after, after the, break. the break. This is the sour. Oh, wait, no. Oh, it was so close. <laughs> it was going to be good. <laughs> all right. All that and more on the Hop and Brew School podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Hop and Brew School podcast. Doing a nice long show for you today because we've got too many good guests in the studio to let them go. And we're having some good conversation. Jay, you uh, had a little teaser for us before mm-hmm. the break. Uh, give us a recap and, uh, and and pose your question. Uh, Justin, I'd like you to repeat the, repeat the question. <laughs> I have no idea listening. what you said. Yeah. <laughs> I stared right through you. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> uh, that's like, if you guys have listened to this hour, that's what I do every time. Yeah. Scott's just like, tease it out, tease it out. And then he's like, we're five minutes in the next segment. I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot that teaser. Uh, absolutely. Uh, this time I remember, though. No, I was thinking about the uh, apparent sugar pickup from adding these dramatic amounts of dry hops. And, you know, it's right around the amount of sugar that we add to our uh, bottle conditioning. Usually. Yeah. So I, I posited that maybe we you could count on that sugar for re-fermentation. But in the initial comments off air, we were we were skeptical. But what do you guys think? So um, we, we we covered this earlier in the in the hop creep episode, um, but it's it's become quite apparent that 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 pickup that that up to one Play-Doh pickup is and it, and it it is independent of volume of hops added, which really indicates that it is the uh, residual non fermentables from from the malt in in the wort that are uh, that are being con- converted. Um, really, it's the enzymes from the hops that do it. So yeah. hop creep is enough to bottle condition. But the problem is you have to give the enzymes enough time to solubilize in solution and then react. Because if you remove the hops, hop creep isn't as dramatic. 
Correct. Or if you use uh, cryo or extracts right. or oils, mm. it doesn't occur yeah. uh, to nearly the same extent. Um, and so, so, so you can do it, but what I would encourage is that if you were trying to bottle condition, I would rely on that for about half of your CO2. So, so, so uh, let that gas build up in tank. At the very end, because at that point they're not going to produce enough uh, any any H2S or any 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 uncomfortable nastiness, uh, but uh, that will uh, that will that will condition a, a good amount of it, and and it's going to create some pretty interesting things, and you're going to be able to retain your your hop character from that carbonation. So it's the spunding via hops, basically instead of instead of instead of uh, carbonating with sugar. Um, and then transfer it to your packaging line under pressure and through a filter or a centrifuge because there's still going to be some hops suspension, and you don't necessarily want that. Um, I think the hard thing is would be based on your ideas that if you were a bottle condition brewery like you are, um, you would have to have the hops in the beer because once you remove the hops, hop creep, I don't know if it totally goes away, but it's pretty significantly less is that net right and so, yeah. so so the so, enzyme i mean the you enzymes, end up with this like ugly mess of mm. hop pellets or you could do you know you could float whole cone hops in your bottles like i used to do as a homebrewer i put a, a hop leaf in every <laughs> bottle of homebrew then, then to, it, and then to it, do your bottle conditioning or to add flavor? No, to add flavor. Okay. okay. And the only thing that sucked was when you put a hop leaf in that was too big, yeah. and it like got stuck in the top. And then when you took the bottle cap off, there was no like. Pssst. Uh, and then a minute later, you had like a. Good, <laughs> oh, uh, I see. Yeah. yeah, it was a plug. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so hop corks. I, I think we call that craft, Vinny, isn't it? Is it like you know, like you get that hop, hop schmutz in there? No, but if you if you again if if you if you if you precarb it in your tank or something like that, or because um, because it only takes a little bit of time for the the hop enzymes to solubilize because just being in the material isn't going to be enough to. To, to, to be a problem. They actually do enter solution, and then they start to react with the sugars. It'll take a little bit longer, and you're probably not going to get quite enough carbonation, but that's one of those things that you could absolutely do trials on. Um, I'd be worried about diacetyl. Hmm. Oh, we covered that one, too, and I need to talk to you about that after the yep. show, sir. It's uh, like, you could, as a homebrewer, probably do that in your corny keg. Vent yeah. it off. Yeah. Right? But I would recommend Just to using tie it back into homebrew. I would I would recommend using a hop cage or a hop filter thing for that because otherwise you're gonna get a mess. Yeah, but you could you could supplement it with your bottle conditioning sugars mm-hmm. and see your way to perhaps packaging that beer faster with all necessary caution. Mm-hmm. And then if you still open it along the way and it has diastol, obviously, then you kind of you miss. You missed that boat anyway. So. <laughs> wouldn't you? Wouldn't so? But we don't always see. Wouldn't you with just our heavy high hop, our heavy hop additions? We don't always see diacetyl. No, no, so. that's that's a yeast health issue. It's not a it's not a hop issue. And I'll, yeah. I'll, I, we've covered that earlier, and I can talk to you guys about that. And in the bottle, if you just waited long enough, would the diacetyl go away? Uh, it depends if the yeast is active and has enough sugars to operate on the diacetyl. Okay, it's just like you know, if you make uh, sour beer um, with PDO. Then um, and you don't have Britannomyces, mm. and then you bottle it, and there's the PDO has made diacetyl, which Pediococcus does. If you don't have active yeast, in this case, typically it would be Brett. Um, there's no yeast there, active yeast to clean up the uh, diacetyl. So um, it's important to um, to 
have some active yeast mm-hmm. if you if you know you're going to have diacetyl around. Got so it. if you've done that, you have not been listening to the Sour Hour. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so you've never uh, you've never trialed this uh, question that you're asking yourself. You're just it's a th- it's a no, hy- then, hypothesis yeah. that you've had. This is like real time hypothesis. Yeah. I like it throughout. So yeah. I you know I and this is sorry. This is I'll, I'll do a quick tangent. You're fine. Um, you know, I've been thinking, actually, later, uh, well, not that much later, in about 20 minutes, mm-hmm. uh, we're about to record our 100th episode of the Sour Hour. Really? Yep, that's right. I didn't know that. That's correct, today. Not that I would have done anything different, yeah, no, but yeah. that is exciting. <laughs> You've already made fun of me today, so <laughs> yeah. you filled your quota. But, uh, you know, I think about, um, now that I've you know been on the Brewing Network for a little while, um, and the proliferation of all these places to get beer information what you know what's our role in this and what can our what can our role be going forward and i think one um, it's not an we're not i don't think about this in terms of advantage or not but it's it's something that you get smart people in a room mm. and you ask the big questions and mm. not that i like this comparison but it's almost like the ted talks with like the the tech people which again, that's why I don't like the comparison. But it's uh, <laughs> okay. You know, you 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 bring up big ideas. Not that my idea was that big of an idea, but like, let's talk about these fringe things while mm-hmm. we're all here and kind Some of, of walk the theoretical side. Yeah, and I think that's one of the main benefits of uh, the podcast format, where you can have smart people in a room talk in real time, kind of think through it together. Right. Whereas you know, some of the other things are more like reference based. So it's like. Oh, if I want to know the cohumulon of this, I can look that up. Or if I want to know the pitching rate of doing a, a yogurt kettle sour, I can look up mm-hmm. this or whatever it might be. Right. And I kind of like the idea of still doing those things, but like pivoting t- more towards the big ideas sure. of, you know, like, you know, Vinny, you're, you're trying this thing just today with the Quebec yeast and all this stuff. You know, what? What are we driving towards? You know, what what what's what's next, and what are the what are, what are the next big ideas, and what is the what is the future of peak beer, as I'm starting to call it, like Ooh. peak beer? Just what's I the like best that. version of beer? You know, it's all subjective, right? Yeah. But as I said before, I really like these barrel aged mixed culture IPA type beers or um, American sour beers, heavily hopped, aged with a mixed culture or Bottle condition in an interesting way. Hops, mixed culture, exploding with flavor that might not be stable and the same the whole time, but it's going to stay very interesting. Mm. I think that's what Goose and Lambic has had for a long time, and we're just scratching the surface of it. And, yeah. and it's it's that persistence into interestingness, uh, and that's that's what that's what I absolutely love. And uh, and this is really why I was I was. You know, so thankful that you guys agreed to, to to spend some of your time here with us today talking about this. Is that, you know, you you have this wealth of experience and anecdotes and 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 scientific studies and and just having paid attention to all these things. It's a it's a huge honor to have your input, and uh, we will never ever ever forget that as as brewers. I mean, Vinny, you uh, you took me in when I was uh, well, not took me in, but you you you, you bothered <laughs> to answer the damn phone. Yeah, he's like, I just, I just answered an email, bro. Yeah, but yeah, but <laughs> no, I'm no, it. no, but, I, but I, I showed up with a buddy of mine who now has his own sour brewery. He was Thanks meowing to you. outside. Um, <laughs> and, I was like, 
Yeah. Did the, oh, is that is that a can of extract opening? Uh, oh, I should, I should come in for dinner. Um, no, but you, you you know you spend time with people, and and, and Jay, you've you've done the same thing. Like you, you didn't know me from Adam, and and I was a brewer at a different place, and you, you guys bothered to engage, and uh, that has. And I know how busy it is being a brewer, and how busy you guys are, and that's a that's a huge compliment to. All right, enough about them. What about me? <laughs> I mean, really. I got to oh. sit here and listen to this all night. I, was like, Justin, I actually Justin, ran into Justin I, once at Cascade three years ago, and I was like, it's Justin from the Brewing Network. And he I was knew like, I recognized like, you from somewhere. Who the F is this kid? No. <laughs> was it Cascade or was it Sassy's? Be honest. They are right there. <laughs> or was it Mary's? Sassy's has one of the best tapless ever. Just check. It yeah. does. Hey, Mary's is pretty good, too. They're, uh, they got a lot of good Nicolasi the on there. Yeah. Um, Justin, you are. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm going to get us out of here. No, your time is coming. Your time is coming, sir. We are up against a, a clock, but I do want to thank you guys for being here. Uh, Jay, thank you for giving me a new podcast idea, um, the Beer Think Tank. Uh, I think just good putting, idea. It's and, a great idea. And, actually. And, the, and, bri- the Bright Tank. And honestly, what uh, I like about it wow. is, uh, I like that. Not even wow. hosted. It's actually you, you. I just turn on the microphones, and listeners would just get to listen in on kind of what you're talking about. These theoretical discussions that brewers have over a couple of beers. No hosting. No presenting. No nothing. Just sit down and talk and I'll, I'll record the get, damn get thing. Get the Twitch going. Ed- edit it yeah. later get on. some questions. No, don't edit it because <laughs> we'll, we'll eventually start complaining about this valve seat or that valve yeah. seat. It's going to be value, value. Right. All right. Well, I do want to thank everybody for being here. Uh, Vinny Chalurzo from Russian River, Jay Goodwin from The Rare Barrel, and Charlie Johnson from uh, Ronin Fermentation Project, which is fairly new, right? You guys are only a couple years old? Yeah, we're like a year old, basically. Okay. And, uh, we Where were, are you located? We're in... <laughs> Gray Eagle, California. We're an hour north of Lake Tahoe. Okay. Yeah. We're middle, actually under ice. I didn't think anything was an hour north of Lake Tahoe. Right? No. Uh, we're we're like in between 50-50 Brewing and Sierra Nevada Brewing. Cool. We're like right in between the two. So, so a great stop along a three-hour, a six-hour journey. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Of course, you can go uh, visit the Rare Barrel down in Berkeley. Uh, their ta- uh, tasting room is, is open occasionally, I've noticed. Sure. Um, and uh, the all-new facility in Windsor, uh, Russian River's new brewery. Oh, it's which, so beautiful. Uh, I got to. I got to just pop my head in the guest shop, but uh, we're going to do a recording up there soon yep. uh, of both my show, The Session, and Jay's show, The what's, Sour What's Hour. the first one? So, um, you know it. Uh, I, I'm, <laughs> let me, I'm going to show you the numbers. You want to see the numbers of, of our shows, Jay? Mm-hmm. I was going to say something, but I won't. <laughs> all right. This has been the Hop and Brew School podcast, of course. Uh, I want to thank you all for tuning in. If you uh, want to ask questions or present topics, um, you can send that all to Hop and Brew School at thebrewingnetwork.com. That's hop and brew school at thebrewingnetwork.com. You can recommend guests on the show, topics, ask your questions, any of those things. Also, go check out Yakima Chief Hops at yakimachief.com. You can find all sorts of information, including about the real Hop and Brew School, not the podcast, but the actual Hop and Brew School, which is happening uh, over Labor Day weekend this year. The Brewing Network will be there hanging out and and doing whatever it is we do at those events, uh, mostly drinking beer. And uh, providing information and, and being generally awesome for the beer industry. Come on, Justin. That's what we'll be doing. Uh, all right. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back soon. Nick, good job today. Thanks for being here as well. Always a pleasure, sir. All right. Take care of yourselves and your beer. Beer.